Okay, welcome Wednesday night Bible study, the book of Daniel, part one. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to go into your word. Lord, I thank you for those that are here on their way. Also for those that are home recuperating or couldn't make it, Lord, we thank you that uh, they can listen on the podcast. Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you are the teacher. You're the one who opens our eyes that we can see, opens our ears to hear, and our heart to receive. You know what you want to accomplish within each and every one of us in this book, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity, and we just give you praise and Glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Daniel will be easier than Ezekiel. (laughs) You all survived Ezekiel, so now you're ready for Daniel. Daniel will be like a hot knife on a piece of butter on a 4th of July picnic. Go right through it. Um, But it's similar in that it does deal with, with dreams and visions. And I think we got a good handle last time in Ezekiel on how to interpret these dreams and visions and then realize that Scripture actually interprets it for us as well. So as we go through it, we get a a better understanding. Um, So remember to stop me at any time, questions or comments or anything, always welcome. Uh, I'm just going to do the first chapter of Daniel today because I don't want to get into chapter 2 because uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that we need to keep together. But just kind of an overview. The author obviously is Daniel. In chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel says he's the author of it. But the one that's more conclusive than the other is Matthew twenty four fifteen, where Jesus says the prophet Daniel. So Jesus recognizes that Daniel was a prophet. And when they say prophet in the Bible, remember what they're meaning is that anyone that wrote is considered a prophet because they're writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And a prophet is thus saith the Lord. Okay, And it can get misused because a prophet is not someone who just speaks something off their own mind, will, and emotion. That's not a prophet. As someone that's hallucinating or whatever else. But, uh, you know, a biblical prophet is, takes the word of God and delivers it. So even after it's written. So technically, when you are quoting scripture to someone, you are operating in a sense as a prophet because you are saying, thus saith the Lord. Right? So it doesn't mean, you know, you go out and, you know, get a t-shirt made that says I am a prophet. But... You are in that uh, uh, realm of prophet. Thus saith the Lord. So Jesus identifies Daniel as being a prophet. Now what's interesting is that... Um, well, I'll say this later. I was going to say it right now, but I want to say it later. The time. 605 to 536 B.C. So all that we know of Daniel takes place during that time. From 605 to 536 B.C. There's a lot of historical events in here, so we can pretty much tell almost to the very day what what, what, what day these events are going on. There's a lot of historical record. There's a lot of things that we know outside of the Bible that correlates with all of this. 
So it's just not information that's here in no place else. There's a historical record that also, uh, uh, for example, you know, the historical record of Babylon and Persia and places like that um, parallel with what's in here in the Bible. So Daniel's life and ministry take place during the 70-year Babylonian captivity. So when they are off the land. Daniel was a prophet to Israel, but he also is a Babylonian government official, which we're going to find out today, how he gets to that position. It's kind of similar, in a sense, if you remember the story at the end of uh, Genesis of Joseph. Joseph is in Egypt, and what happens, he finds favor, and now he becomes a high-reigning official in Egypt, right? And, And for a reason. And so as we're reading through this and as we're looking at it, always remember, we're doing theology. What is God doing? So I always ask that question. What is God doing? Why is this happening? What is God doing? And just as a little side note, once we get to it, probably in another month or two, Daniel chapter 11 contains over 100 specific prophecies of historical events that came true. So Daniel brings some stuff into play that hadn't transpired yet. In chapter 11 of Daniel, over a hundred specific prophecies of historical events that come true. So I know you're all going to be reading chapter 11 tonight when you go home, right? (laughs) And part of the problem with that was when they were looking at this, people that want to disavow the Bible or what the Bible says, they says, oh, well, this was written later because all these events happened in Daniel. This was just inserted in here. Well, when you do critical literature research on all of this stuff, you know, you go to seminary and you listen, you read all the books, and yeah, you ought to make a long story short. You look at the language, you look at how the language was used, and you realize that Daniel's language and the language that he wrote in was not around later, it was around earlier. So he, 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 he writes in a form of Hebrew and Aramaic uh, that was from this time period. It wasn't later. For example, biblical Hebrew and present-day Hebrew are two different things. They're almost not recognizable. Biblical Hebrew and, 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 and Hebrew today, or that you would hear somebody speaking the Hebrew today, unrecognizable so uh, and the other thing here is that it's historical narrative so there's going to be a story of Daniel and his friends things that he's going through while he's in that but in the process there's going to be dreams there's going to be visions there's going to be prophetic uh, uh, um, utterances about what is going to come what is going to transpire but what also happens is Daniel's visions prepare the way for an understanding of two resurrections. In other words, the resurrection, one for judgment and one that leads to everlasting life. So it's Daniel in the Old Testament that talks about one day we will be resurrected and we will be judged. Because Jesus, when he comes back, is going to what? Judge the living and the dead. And then what happens? The final judgment, that's heaven or hell. So Daniel actually leads the way on that. Two resurrections, one for judgment, and one that leads to everlasting life. 
Now, Daniel is recognized as a prophet, but he's not recognized as a prophet in the Old Testament per se. What I mean by that is the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament, is put together in three categories. The law, the prophets, and the writings. The law is the first five books of the Bible, which is the law of Moses. The prophets are, you know, you know, the, 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 the twelve minor, what they call the minor prophets. It would be uh, Isaiah. It would uh, be Samuel, things like that. And then you have the writings, which is Psalms and Proverbs. And this is where you find Daniel. Um, and Daniel is in there because it's more poetic. It's more literary. Ezekiel is also in there. It's not in the what you would call a classical prophet. So he's just grouped together with the writings. And by the way, when you when you read in the New Testament, and Jesus will say, or it says in the New Testament where it says somewhere the law, it's referring to the Old Testament, but more specifically the first five books. Or sometimes Jesus will say, you have heard the prophets say. He's referring to the prophets in the Old Testament. And then you'll, you'll, you'll see where it says, it is written. He's speaking of something that came out of the writings. And then usually the, the, uh, uh, you, can, you can realize he's, he's quoting Psalms. And by the way, just a footnote. The most prophetic book in the Old Testament is Psalms. Psalms gives more prophetic of what's to come, especially in terms of Messiah, than any of the Old Testament books. It's quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. Thoughts, questions? We good? I'll be repeating some of this stuff as we go along, too, so it's just, I'm just trying to give a little bit broad overview. There's three parts to Daniel, and we're going to cover part one tonight. And that's the personal history of Daniel, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 21. That's what we're going to be looking at. And then there's part 2, which is the prophetic plan for the Gentiles. Now remember, Gentiles means others, those that were not Jewish. So in the book of Daniel, you have the prophetic plan for the, for the uh, uh, Gentile nations. And then part three, you have the prophetic plan for Israel, chapter eight to the end of the book. And so uh, that's specifically towards Israel, what God is going to be doing with Israel. What's interesting is that in part two, the plan for the Gentiles, it's written in Aramaic. Whereas part three, the plan for Israel is written in Hebrew. Anybody know why? One is to the Gentiles, and the other one is to Israel. And so it's the native tongue. And, but why Aramaic to the Gentiles? Because they were dispersed in other areas. That was, at that time, that was the language of the people in that area that did not speak Hebrew. It was Aramaic. So, it only makes sense that that would be written in Aramaic, whereas what was written to Israel is written in Hebrew, right? So uh, there's only a couple of other instruments, uh, incidents in the Old Testament where you'll find Aramaic. You'll, there's a little bit of Aramaic in Jeremiah, uh, 
but the rest of it is all in, in biblical Hebrew, except for this part here that's in Aramaic. So that was the language there. It's kind of like, why is the Old Testament written in in Hebrew and the New Testament written in Greek? The language of, of time was Greek in the New Testament. By the time the New Testament came around, Hebrew was more just a language for the rabbis because the scrolls were written in, in that. And so the, the, that was the language of, of, uh, of, of, the, of the priests. So it's kind of a loose oversight of Daniel question. Difference between Arabic and Aramaic? Arabs and Aramaic. Arabs don't speak Aramaic. Aramaic is a language of the Semitic people in that area. It's kind of like it's kind of like Spanish, in a sense. You can have some people that speak Spanish and and like Mary was saying, we we're actually talking about this today. She was talking about her son-in-law is from Peru, and then when he speaks Spanish, there's some words in Peru in Peruvian that don't quite translate over as as Spanish. You know, and Juicy might speak this more because she's a she 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 does this. She knows all of this. So what happens is after a while, they begin a certain dialect in a certain area. Aramaic is very is very close to Hebrew. There's some similar words. But it's just different, and it's just in that in the in that particular area. So it's it's not Aramaic is not not tied to Arabians. It's not tied to uh, 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 there, there's an it's it's tied to an area that that was next to Moab. It was called Ammon, A M M O N. It came out it came out of that area, and then it just kind of became the language of the people there. But then once um, uh, once Hannibal came and conquered the people, then he brought he brought Greek uh, learning and understanding, and that's what changed the language over there. Then, if you went to school, it became uh, um, 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 Greek. So, yeah, uh, I might be mistaken, but uh, wasn't uh, the movie The Passion the language used there was Aramaic? Yeah, the language of the people was was more Aramaic yeah. than it was because again, Hebrew was going to be the priests, yeah. the people. If you spoke, if you were Jewish and you were speaking, you know, Yeshua uh, you, instead of Jesus, you were you were you were speaking Aramaic. Yes, pretty much a dead language, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's used anywhere anymore, mm-hmm. in, in at all. I think I read somewhere about five six years ago. They finally realize it's not being used anywhere anymore. So yeah, it's a dead language. So mm-hmm. Thank you. wait a minute. You said, you said Aramaic was a dead language. Yes. And in other words, it's not being used. One of the girls that I used to work with, her husband was. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me that. Spoke. Him and his family spoke Aramaic. How long ago was that? Aramaic or Arabic? Maybe thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things. That it just it just phases out in 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 over in that area. What you have to realize is that you you know you've got countries, but then you also have towns and you have villages and you have Bedouin people that are just living out, you know, and they might speak it and it 
it doesn't pick up anywhere, and once those people move on, it dies. You know, it's like certain dialects; they just eventually die because not everybody's speaking them anymore. So, so yeah. Cool. Any questions? Good. Okay. All right. Let's jump into Daniel. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Now this is how we date things. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Sinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Okay, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we know the time frame on that. We also know Nebuchadnezzar. We know the time frame when he came over. It was in the year 605. That's why it says there in your time frame, 605 to 536 B.C., So we know it was in the year 605, roughly uh, 600 years before Christ, roughly. Okay. Um, so it says that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now notice the names here, because this is where sometimes things get a little goofy. He's a king of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah into his hand, in other words, he lost, he took him captive, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, meaning the golden vessels, you know, it could be the lampstand, it could have been, you know, the table, you know, of the, of the face bread, it could have been, you know, because don't forget, the temple was also used as a treasury, because that was supposed to be the safest place, and so people would actually bring, if they had anything of high value, they, they would bring it to the temple, and the temple would be a place where you would keep it. And that happened uh, even after when they came back. But all the vessels that were used, and again, you can, you can, you can Google it, uh, uh, Temple Mount Society, and you can see all of these things that are in solid gold that would be displayed in, inside the house there. So he went, basically ransacked the temple and uh, took some of that. And he brought them to the land of Sinar. Now, he's a king of what? But why does he take him to Sinar? Because that's where his God's temple is. Yeah. Where his temple was. To the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Small g. The multiple gods. But, where's Sinar? Don't cheat. <laughs> Sinar is another name for Mesopotamia. Oh. And Babylonia is in Mesopotamia. So, you know, they, 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 they write it that way because people at that time would know that. Right? It's like if you made, say, if you, if you were writing something today and you used language 
of today, say in San Diego or Southern California or something, and then maybe you use some terminology that people would understand that was from when this part of the country was still under Mexico's con control. And you use some of that language. If you knew that, you'd say, oh, you're talking about the same place. But you see, if we don't know that, we think, okay, here's a different place, and where are we going? It's all the same place. So he takes him into the house of his God, small g. Um, so that's how all this thing, how this, this happens. And his God, by the way, is, is the God Bel, B-E-L. And later on it becomes Bel Murak, M-U-R-A-C-K, I believe it is. It's uh, Bel, and that's, and that's uh, it's another, it's a form of Baal, it's a form of B-E-L-L-E-N, was another god in that name. It was just almost a generic term for for their gods. Okay, so it didn't. It doesn't. It means lord or master, but it was kind of a generic term for their gods. Now, yeah. Is there some kind of um, symbolism behind the fact that I mean, God not only turned over Jerusalem but also the treasures of His own house? Good question. Because we're asking, we're looking at it and we say, why is this happening? Yes. Why would God allow this to happen? Well, going back to Ezekiel, and going back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, and Ezekiel says, if you're not going to follow God, he's going to what? He's going to take you off of the land. Yes. And when he takes you off of the land, you're no longer going to be able to go into the house of God. You're no longer going to be able to worship. So not only was he taking them from the land, basically he was saying, I am not even going to be in your religious realm. This is, you know, again, what's, what's the definition of hell? The absence of God. So think about it. He's saying to them, if you don't do this, I am not going to be there. You're not going to be around me. I'm not going to be around you. So think of it in terms of evangelism. But if you're not going to receive God as your Lord and Savior, God's not going to be there. Right? It's the absence of God. So, you know, you have to look at it that way. So again, and keep asking the question as, as we read, what is God doing? Why, why, why would he uh, allow this? You know? So is it all... If I understand you clearly, it's something like not only are you going to be out of the land, but no part of me will be part of your life. To the point of their active worship, but it doesn't mean God's not present. So we're going to see that in a second. Okay. So, you know, when God says, when God makes made a covenant with the people... You know, he said, I'm going to be there, and if you do this, I will be there, yada, yada, yada. Some of God's covenant is conditional upon you doing something. Other parts of God's covenant are not conditional on us doing anything. Because of the rainbow. Yes. Okay. So, 
look at what God is doing because when God says, you know, they're going to be, when we're reading in Ezekiel, and he said, then I will return you to the land for my own name's sake. Right? Because so the people will know I am who I am. In other words, that when I say something, I am not going to forsake you, but I'm teaching you a lesson. So that we would know, and others would know, God is a God of judgment, and he will judge us, and he will. So yeah, you know, he's not just a a God that can be used and abused. You can't do that. So, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family of the nobles, the youth in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them in the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That was their form of, of, uh, of, of instruction. So, Daniel is among that group that is taken. So, what do we learn about Daniel? If, in a second, I'm jumping a little ahead here, but we're going to find out that Daniel's in this group. So, what do we find out about Daniel? Well, he was... Part of the, I don't know if he was royalty or part of the royal court or what, but he was smart and good looking. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> also, it reminds me of, I think I'm not sure if it's in the Psalms or where, teach a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not forsake. Mm-hmm. So he must have been trained by, by the parents to, in the fear of the Lord and in his law and um, how to keep himself um, I don't know separated from let's see what it says the king ordered Ashpenaz the chief of his officials to bring in some, not all, some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Now, you didn't have a royal family per se as, um, I mean, you would, you, you would have the, 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 you know, Jehoiakim's children, because they were raised as, you know, that one day they might become kings, so there was them, and then there was nobles, which means uh, uh, people of renown, people that had statues, could have been, uh, people that were in the priesthood, it could have been people that were wealthy, it could have been, for, for they were very pious. So, to your point, that these children stuck out for a reason, for something. And so, the king, he wants to take those children, and he now wants to train them. So, what is God doing? Cream of the crop. Yeah. He must have been awfully young, Very judging young. that 
the time span of the book is 69 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe a teenager year. Yeah, yeah. In, in, uh, yeah, not much more than probably 13 or 14 at the most. But we'll see, he's, he's got a little going for him. He's not a, a little tiny kid. Because, uh, again, it says use, and that's, that's, that's debar. And debar means up to about the age of about 13, 13 or 14. Pastor Steve, um, it sort of reminds me of like in the law where God is telling the um, children of Israel what kind of offering to bring and it's always uh, with a goat or whatever without blemish or that they're perfect for the offering. So it is this some kind of foreshadowing of what Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, sacrificing these children to his gods and children that are perfect. So Nebuchadnezzar goes to this country, ransacks, takes people in captivity to help build their monuments and their whatever, and then now wants to take the best and brightest of their kids and use them for his own good, right? Yes. So, you know, what's going on is that, and ask the question, because it'll be revealed as we continue reading, maybe not tonight, but is that Nebuchadnezzar's plan, or is that God's plan? Because, think about for a second, there's a lot of parallels in Joseph's story, there's also parallels to Esther's story. No, not that uh, uh, Ruth's story. Uh, you know where she she was. Uh, uh, um, uh, you know her husband died, and you know her her sons died, and then she came back. You know with Naomi, and then all of a sudden she's embraced, and she becomes a great great grandmother of David. You know, in but in a foreign land where she wasn't raised be, before. And, and Joseph, here was Joseph who was treated badly by his family, left for dead. Uh, he was picked up. He was thrown in jail. He was accused of all kinds of stuff. But yet he ends up, not back in Israel, but he ends up basically in charge of the country that he, he was supposed to be in captivity in. So again, what is God doing? What is what is, what is what is God up to in all of this? Because when you begin to look at this, you begin to see, okay, who's, who directs the action? The devil doesn't direct action. He's just, he's just, he doesn't create anything. The one who directs everything and creates everything is God. Yahweh of the Old Testament. So what is God doing? So these, these kids, these guys, are, they're royal, they're noble, they're good-looking, they're smart, they're the best and the brightest. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them, and I want you to school them. Right? So, kind of like, this might be a, a, a lousy analogy, but who's the father of the modern rocketry in the United States? Yeah, yeah, I know you know. Elon. Huh? 
rocketry as in going to... Yeah, yeah, rockets. Elon Musk? No. Uh, he knows, he knows. I, I know he knows. Brain freeze. Yeah. He was German. Yes. Werner von Braun. Yeah. And so he was taken from Germany, and what do we do? We didn't throw him in jail. Yeah. We gave him another life and said, if you want to work on this rocketry and all the science, so he's the one who actually put us on the moon, in a sense. But he was taken from another country. He was the one that was in charge of the V-1 rockets in, 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 in Germany. So, what was going on here? So, maybe a bad analogy, but you can see how that works. Okay, So, Five to seven. Let's see. Uh, verse four, just for continuity. Use in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. He ordered him to teach them in literature and language of the Chaldeans. Verse five to seven. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food, and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hadaniah, Mishael, and Hazariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Hazariah, Abednego. So, what's going on here? He's taking the best and the brightest. He's trying to immerse them in their culture, even to the point of changing their names. So, he wants to change their, their whole identity, right? You're, you're not going to be Israeli anymore. You're going to be Babylonian. We're going to raise you as Babylonian. We're going to take what you have and we're going to put our stuff in you and now you are going to work for us and serve us. This is interesting here. Daniel means God has judged. That's what Daniel's name means. Belshazzar, which his name is changed to, means protect the king. Which is going to be very interesting when the king has dreams and he wants somebody to interpret those dreams. It's going to be Daniel who interprets those dreams. Hananiah's name was Yahweh has been gracious. Hananiah means Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name for God. Yahweh has been gracious. His name is changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful. Mishael, who is what God is. That's what his name is. In other words, who can approach God? Who is what God is? Basically no one. His name is changed to Meshach, which is I am despised. Hazariah, his name is Yahweh has helped his name is changed to Abednego, which is servant of Nebo. So they went from 
God has judged. Yahweh has been gracious. Who is what God is? Yahweh is helpful. Their names were changed to protect the king. I am fearful. I am despised. Servant of Nebo. Why would they change somebody's name to I am despised? It's like that Johnny Cash song, Boy Named Sue. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> why, why were they changing? I am fearful. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's it's, it's there, there's a name change there that that you know is brought about to okay you were you were here over there but now over here you're going to serve the king over here. It's kind of like you know we're we're we're, we're taking this from you but we're going to use you. You know, so it's it's not a a a a pretty plan from Nebuchadnezzar's side. But, what is God doing? Because God can take what was meant for evil for good, right? So that's that's a theme in the Bible. So he, he wants to immerse them, change their names, you know, different clothes, all this stuff. He wants to basically take Judaism out of them. There's no, no part of Judaism in them. So verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Defile? What is he talking about? To not eat kosher? Right, yeah. There was kosher laws. And obviously the food that they were eating was not kosher. And Daniel is saying, I don't want to defile myself by eating meat and food that is unclean. And by the way, those kosher laws protect the people from a lot of uh, foodborne diseases. You know, they didn't eat shellfish that were from the shoreline. That's where they dumped all their waste stuff. You know, and I, th- I told you before, during the, the, the plague in the 1500s, they were blaming the Jews for the plague because the Jews in Europe were not getting the plague the way everybody else was because their dietary laws were protecting them. And a lot of the way their people were getting sick was the way they left their food exposed and eating with dirty hands and all that stuff that was, you know, was transmitted that way. They didn't have to wear masks. They wouldn't wear the mask, you know. So. But anyway, so what does this tell you about Daniel? You can change my name, but you're not gonna change who I am. Yeah. Right? So Daniel, even as a young boy, you know, uh, uh, you know, his name Daniel means God has judged. You know, God has judged this boy as someone that he's going to use for his glory. Right? And see, God does that with all of us. He uses us for his glory. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Uh, uh, so, right there we get we get a picture right now of, you could, you could say stubborn, you could say strong-willed, you, could, you know, however you want to terminate that, uh, translate that, you know, here's, here's a guy, a young guy that's in a land 
where he doesn't have control. He's away from, you know, all of that. But yet he's saying, I am not going to eat that. Is there something else we can do? He said, I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. And so this kind of now begins to give us a picture of who Daniel is. He's smart. He's good looking. He stands out. uh, He's got wisdom. But he also knows how to use that wisdom. Because notice what he does here. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. It was not Napa, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> so, so here's the wisdom part. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So rather than go on this hunger strike or do whatever, he's now seeking permission because part of this is his understanding is, okay, Nebuchadnezzar needs us. Nebuchadnezzar brought us. He's got a plan for us. And so let me see if somehow I can make this work for us, in a sense. So verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the (coughs) officials. Favor. Favor here is translating means loving kindness. Now think about this for a second. He's in captivity and scripture says he has the loving kindness of God. Think about it for a second. Think of, think, think of Joseph in jail with the favor of the loving kindness of God. That doesn't make sense. On, on, But if you're in the middle of God's plan, it makes perfect sense. Because that's not where God has for us, that's what we're going through. Yea, even even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, I will not tremble, because thy rod and thy staff, thy power and thy authority are with me. So God has a plan here, and even our takeaway, even when it doesn't look right, or it doesn't look like it's supposed to look, doesn't mean you're not in the middle of God's plan. See, as long as, as long as we continue to allow God to use us and, and work us work what he's, he's doing, it's going to come out okay. Right? So now Daniel puts it in his mind that he's going to do this, and then now God, God gives him favor with this particular person. How many times have you had favor with somebody you probably shouldn't have had favor with? I think all of us could say that. It makes it, it makes no sense. You know, I'm in the position I'm in, or I'm getting what I'm doing, or is there something's <coughs> going on here? Something's at work here that's that's larger than the both of us. Yeah, his name is God. You know, God's doing something. So I think sometimes that gets missed that God is doing something because sometimes there's some for segments of Christianity, you know, they'll say, well, you, you're, you, you always have to be blessed because you're with God, and it's always going to be good, and if you're not blessed, and if everything isn't good, there's something wrong with you. Really? Well, what about all these people in the Bible that God used? Uh, there was, must have been a whole lot wrong with them because it didn't look good for them. You see, you, you, that's putting God in a box. You know, that's technically idolatry. 
You're creating a God in the image that you want to see God portrayed as, a God that will only uplift and, and, and give me what, what I want, as opposed to a God who's Alpha and Omega and has a plan, and I'm in that plan, I'm in that line, I'm in that Alpha and Omega, and God's working it out <coughs> along the way. You know, So, thoughts, questions on that? Okay, verse 10 to 16. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Basically, he's saying, if I don't feed you what the king wants, you're not going to look good and I'm going to look bad, and it's going to be my head. Right? Verse 11. But Daniel (laughs) said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test, I almost said text, please text your, (laughs) please test your servants for ten days. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. He says, I don't want your meat. I'm not going to be defiled by that. I'm not going to be defiled by your fish. Give us some vegetables and water to drink. Now, this this is Daniel. He's a young guy. So, again, wisdom here. He said, for ten days. Verse 13, Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice foods and deal with your servants according to what you see. And by the way, what's not being said here, you know, I'm, 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 I'm chasing a rabbit here, that if you are not used to eating particular foods either, your body will not handle it well. If you radically change your diet, your body will go, you know, and so that's that's another little thing that's going on here. Also, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, when you when you go to other countries, you pick up their diseases, and if your country doesn't have that disease, you're going to be very susceptible to that disease, and you're going to get sicker than the normal person would. That's why when they find these uh, um, people that live out in the Andes or you know Brazil somewhere, and they're, they're, they're tribes that are just have never been touched by civilization, they tell Westerners do not go over there because we'll give them our diseases and they don't have antibodies. Common cold will wipe them out. You know, so that's just a rabbit chase here. <laughs> yeah. Do you think because like with Daniel? At the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about these are youth that and they were God had given them wisdom and everything. So now Daniel is using the wisdom. Do you think we can miss opportunities of using the wisdom that God has given us, um, whether knowingly or knowingly, so being out of the will of God? Yeah, when we choose our will over God's will, 
There's my little cousin used to say, I want to if I want to. Doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Yes. I want to if I want to. Okay, I get it. You're going to do it. You know, when we when we do that, you know, it's, it's like we're putting ourselves ahead of God or in place of God rather than, see, we're called to follow. Yes. Not tell God what to do. We're called to follow. So as a, an, a fellow I used to know years ago used to tell me, he used to say, don't let your brain rip you off. And what he meant was, don't try and overthink it that you can outsmart God. You know, because we, we, we can't. And so, yeah, sometimes we think that we can do that. That we can. That's the whole point of the yarmulke that the Jews wear. Yeah. It's to remind them they can't approach God, so they put something between themselves and God to remind them, my thoughts cannot be God's thoughts. I can't approach God. So that's the whole point of the yarmulke, or the kippah. So, um, where was I? Verse 10. Yeah, then verse 11. For 10 days, 12. Verse 13. Then let your appearance be observed in... Your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. So in other words, he did it. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Now, it says fatter there. It doesn't mean obese. It means that they were plump. They were, they were, they look healthy, you know. And so, again, what is God doing? Why is this even in here? Do we, do we really need to know he was on a vegetable diet? Maybe, yeah. But what's God doing? And, you know, in the, in the wisdom, and, and again... He's because later on with Daniel, you're going to see this stubbornness or this willingness to follow God show up again and again and again. And you're going to see every time it does, Daniel is elevated or pulled out of a harmful situation. Again, almost the same as as Joseph. Every time it looked like Joseph hit rock bottom, boom, he was in the penthouse. And then something would happen, boom, rock bottom. Boom, back to the penthouse. You know, eventually he stayed in the penthouse. Thoughts, questions on that before we do the last verses? So we're all going to go out to Whole Foods when this is over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's going to get broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Verse 17. And as for these for youth, youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Hold it right there. These four, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Now Daniel got more. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. 
Okay? Visions and dreams. So, obviously, God was preparing Daniel for something. Next week, we're going to find out the king's got a dream and he <coughs> troubles him and he needs somebody to interpret it. And they find out, oh, yeah, we got this kid, Daniel. And Daniel shows up, interprets the dream. So, God's preparing him. So, again, along the way, God is preparing us for what he has for us. There's a lot of things in Christianity. And in that walk, I look back, I said, man, that was really a low point. But at the same time, I don't think I would trade any of that because of what God did and what I learned and then what God did behind it, you know, to show who he is. And so uh, following God's plan. So these, these guys, God gave them knowledge, intelligence, every kind of branch of literature, wisdom. Daniel even said all kinds of dreams, visions. Visions and dreams. Now, eight. God prepared them, not the king, by the way. It was God is the one who prepared them. It was like when uh, a pastor told me one day we were talking about scripture. And uh, I was in seminary. And I was talking about something. And, and, and I said, I said something about, I don't think the class got this. I was seeing this, yada, 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 and, and whatever. And then the pastor said to me, he says, well, the Holy Spirit was sitting next to you while you were taking the class. And all of a sudden, that really illuminated what he, what he was saying was, is that, you know, when you read scripture or when you learn or even now, all of this, you know, God is there with you, helping you understand what he wants you to understand and you to see what he needs you to see. You know, it's just like a lot of times in a sermon, somebody will say, man, Pastor, I really got X, Y, and Z out of that. And I'm like, well, praise God, because that's not where I was going with it. But that's what God showed you. You know, because that's what you needed to see out of that passage, out, out of that. So he took something, but again, it's the Holy Spirit that directs the message. Uh, I don't direct the message. I don't do that. That's, that's God's job. Okay, verse 18 to 21. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified, which was three years, for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel. So boom, what do we find about Daniel? He graduated head of the class. He's the cream of the crop. Uh, let's see. Verse 19 again. And the king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel. Hananiah and Mishael and Hazariah, so they entered the king's personal service. In other words, they're now government officials. Verse 20. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, notice they were in a place where he was consulting them. So when you have, like, say, uh, uh, a mayor or a governor or, you know, who, whoever it might be, they always have or should have a team of people around them that they consult with, should be experts in the field that will now help them. So as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And so, you know, what they had back in that day, 
yeah, they would have they would have magicians. They would have what they called soothsayers. They would have people that said they could interpret dreams. They would have you know the the card reader. They would have the numerologist. They would have all these kinds of things. And what he's saying is here is that none of them were as good as what Daniel was and, and, and his buddies were bringing forth. And so, by the way, remember when in Exodus with Moses, and Moses goes back, let the people go, and Moses was performing signs before Pharaoh. Well, who was performing signs for Pharaoh? Magicians. Magicians could do that. Oh, I can turn water into red. No, no problem. You know, I, I can do these things. So that kind of stuff, and divination, that stuff's been around for a long, long time. And, and so they were using it. Uh, uh, see, if you, if you can get someone to believe that you can do what nobody else can do, you're elevated, right? Even in the workplace. You can add better than anybody else, or you can do that job better, or your leadership skills are better. You get elevated. And so these magicians and these people, you know, they, they could do this stuff, and it was like, man, I can't do that. I got, I'm, you know, I'm going to use that. But then when the real deal shows up, which is intelligence and wisdom from God, you know, it stopped Nezuchadnezzar in his tracks. And he realized that these guys were better than anybody he had. And then it ends with verse 21. And Daniel continued into the year of Cyrus the king. Cyrus the king of Persia, he came into that land. Cyrus was the king of Persia in the year 539. He, uh, he uh, conquered Babylon. And that's pretty much the end of Daniel's story. Not in the book of Daniel, but Daniel 539. Uh, that, that's pretty much the end we have of his, because his reign, his thing is now over in that land. He doesn't go back to Israel. He stays in, in Babylon all during, that, all during that time. So that right there is an introduction. It's Daniel's history. Next week we're going to get into dreams and interpretation of dreams and visions and uh, it's going to be to the Gentiles and, and what is God doing and these decrees and all this different stuff. We're going to, we're going to get into that. But tonight we got a picture of who's Daniel? Mm-hmm. Remember the royal court of Israel, <coughs> brightest and best. And kind of looks like Raymond Fernandez. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 It'll work. You know. <laughs> and so you know he's 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 someone that stands out. He's someone that that that, that has wisdom. But he just doesn't have head knowledge. He has the ability to to take this farther. But the overriding factor for me with him is that he is loyal to God. And, and we're going to see um, this, this come up uh, time and time again in the story where he basically says, I'm going to do uh, what God has said. I'm not going to do what you say, even if it means I die. You know. And so, thoughts, questions? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a thought just occurred to me. Uh, it, is it known whether or not uh, uh, Daniel's and his uh, cohorts' uh, uh, diet 
had any influence from that time forward with the people that Nebuchadnezzar was having trained and all that? Where the diet switched, you know? (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's going to be some stuff we're going to be reading. Uh, They have a huge effect because they get thrown in jail. And they have an effect on those around them, the jailers and, and stuff like that. And, and Daniel is is the head guy, but the other three are also influencers. You know, and so, uh, yeah, God uses all, all three of them. I uh, mean, we're future trainees, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. Um, Did they change their diet over to uh, vegetables and water? No, I don't. I don't think I have, there's anything mm-hmm. to that. Uh, although this is just purely speculation. This is not the Bible. This is the Gospel according to Steve, chapter four, verse two. That quite possibly, when they got in a position of power, they now maybe were able to have their meals prepared the way they wanted them prepared. Okay. Including yeah. me. Yeah, they, they had their own little, you know, yeah. stuff there quite possibly because they were in the in the king's palace. They did have that kind of stuff. And then, especially once Daniel begins to interpret the dreams and he gets favor from Nebuchadnezzar, it's pretty much, I give you whatever you want. Yeah. You know, because you're really helping me here. So, uh, so again, that's kind of the style of, of, of Daniel. There's going to be a lot of narrative, a lot of things he's going through, him and his buddies. But then next week we're going to get the dreams and the visions and and stuff and a lot of prophetic things uh, coming down that will be affecting Israel. And Daniel deals with his visions and stuff. He deals with world powers that try to uh, control the world. You know, he points those out and uh, things like that. And then there's some end time stuff there. Revelation back half of Daniel, Ezekiel, and part of Zechariah are what make up our understanding of eschatology and time events. So not just the book of Revelation, you get it You get it in those other books as well. And uh, also in Matthew, because Jesus talks a little bit about end time events. So, But it's Daniel, sometimes people think it's all end time events. It's not. It's, 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 it's current events. And it's, uh, uh, but again, what is God doing? You know, in, no matter what you read in the Bible, the main takeaway is God is in control. No one else is in control. God is going to work His plan. God has a plan. And so, why would we want to try and get in front of that? It's not going to work. You know. so, anyway, thoughts, questions? Making sense? Okay. Uh, Let's pray. Lord God, as we leave the sanctuary but not your presence, Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us, to strengthen us and guide us, encourage us, help us, Lord. And as we read Daniel, Lord, the coming weeks and months, Lord, help us to glean uh, not just head knowledge or information, Lord, but like Daniel, to apply what you've said. Lord, to our lives individually, into the workplace, Lord, into our church, Lord, uh, and into our relationships, Lord. Show us what it is that uh, we need to know. Help us to grow stronger in the word of God, Lord. 
And so, Father, I just thank you for those that aren't able to participate here, Lord, and as they listen via podcast, Lord, that you continue to um, strengthen them and open their eyes and ears and heart to receive what you have for them. So, again, Father, we just thank you, Lord, and we just pray a word of prayer for Pastor Gigi, Lord, to continue that work of uh, um, restoring his body and strengthening him and encouraging him and, and help him and gain, Lord. And so in this, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, a little... <clears throat>